This episode is brought to you by Margie Lamb, health coach and founder of Healthy and Hustlin'. Are you fed up with the dieting and the seemingly contradictory health advice out there? Do you want to feel great in your body and accomplish your goals in a way that's empowering and not overwhelming? For me, the answer was an easy yes. Five years ago, I was pushing 200 pounds. I worked out twice a day and counted my calories. I didn't really see a movement on the scale nor my body type. So I decided to check my ego and call up a health coach. Margie, as a certified integrative nutrition health coach, works with each client as a guide and mentor to build a healthy, sustainable lifestyle that will help you reach your health goals. She offers free one-hour initial consultations. To learn more, visit her website, www.healthyandhustlin.com. That's www.healthyandhustlin, spelled H-U-S-T-L-I-N, dot com. Welcome back to Defining Moments Podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and this is episode number 31 with Shirley Ann Brown. About a year ago, my wife and I had dinner with Shirley's parents, and we got to talking about this podcast, and Shirley Ann Brown's parents said, hey, my daughter has a really cool story. And of course, Margaret and I were always down for a really cool story. So the story is, Shirley Ann Brown had a heart transplant. Quite intriguing. Don't meet a lot of heart transplant recipients. So, what were some of the setbacks for Shirley Ann Brown? What did she go through prior to the heart transplant? After the heart transplant? What is she doing now? How does she give back? What does she do to contribute to society? Shirley Ann Brown, you are amazing. Thank you for your time. We had a blast as a privilege for us to hear your story. And now it's an honor for us to share your story with the world. You are listening to Defining Moments Podcast. Hi, everyone. My name is Wong Lam, your host of Defining Moments Podcast. Thank you for listening in and showing your love and support to our show. A defining moment is a moment you define or the moment defines you. The world needs to hear about your defining moment. We learn from it, we draw inspiration from it, we cry with you, we laugh with you, we celebrate you. This podcast is your platform to capture and share your story, a story that will build bonds within your family as well as your community. When you share stories, we all gain a better appreciation for the unique people around us that we would not normally converse with. When was the last time you had a meaningful conversation with your neighbor, said hi to a total stranger, or even hugged a friend. Be interested in others. Be a good listener. Have that deep, meaningful conversation. Join the conversation. I'd like to acknowledge my beautiful wife, Margie, for her amazing work on this podcast. And to the guests that's taken their time and showed courage to come onto this podcast to share their story with you. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> Today's special guest is Shirley Ann Brown Johnson. Shirley Ann, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So honored to be here today. The first time, this is actually the first time I've met you in person. I've heard a lot about you through your parents, whom I've met through my wife's parents about three, four years ago, and so fortunate to be inside their home today 
recording this podcast with you. Thank you. Yeah. So real quick, you know, what, I guess my, my questions are, what's so unique about your parents that, that you really like? Cause when I first met him, I was drawn to him and I'm not sure if it was a smile or the personality, but I would say it's the attitude, personality, and the smile that attracted me to your parents and opened up. My parents have always been very warm and greeting people. Mm -hmm. They embrace life and they, and in that they embrace people. Yeah. Uh, very seldom do they meet a stranger. I, a few years back, my brother-in-law had a 50th birthday party Yeah. and my folks showed up dressed in fifties get up and <laughs> danced the whole night to the live band. And people thought they'd been hired to come. <laughs> and it was their gift to my brother-in-law yeah. to get people out on the dance floor. Wow. Spe <laughs> speaking of dancing, you're, you're, you're classically trained yes, in sir. tap, uh, ballet, jazz, jazz, yeah, contemporary, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, how was that growing up? What what age? I started at three, and I pursued it heavily until I was eighteen. Uh -huh. Went to college. I played with it in college. After I left college, um, and had a child of my own, she went into dance, and mm -hmm. I returned to dance. Mm -hmm. And then I was in a car accident and broke my back. Oh, man. And so I had to back off of the level that I was at. Yeah. And jumping forward 38 years, I'm now <laughs> teaching a class. <laughs> oh, so you're teaching class now. I'm teaching class now on Wednesdays at the wow. uh, Broken Arrow Senior Center. And that has its own fun twist to it because as a 17-year-old, mm -hmm. I was teaching the ladies, the mothers, a fitness class in ballet. And I told dad, I said, you know, I really respect these women for coming in and, and trying this. And it was a challenge for them because I was this limber, you know, dancer. Yeah. And here they're coming in. They've had three or four kids. and uh, But they showed up. And mm. now I'm teaching. I'm the old lady teaching <laughs> the old ladies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are they catching on? Oh, they're doing great. Yeah. And and it's just so much fun. And they, they get so much out of it because they see my training coming through and also my respect for where we're at at this point in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we have fun. It One of our rules is, um, I can't remember the rule. I should know it. <laughs> um, we... We don't do anything that's going to hurt us. Mm -hmm. And so respect your limitations. That's I like it. it. Respect your limitations. I like it. And I'm one of the youngest in the center at 56. So I'm I'm the baby. And I have a knee that needs to be replaced, two torn rotator cuffs. Oh, my gosh. And a heart transplant. Yeah. So <laughs> wow. I, I tell the girls, I'm like... I'm as broken as anybody in here. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it, don't, because I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I offer it for the people who can do it, but I don't expect you to hurt yourself. Right, right. And, and there are things I cannot do anymore. I, one of my great achievements in the last year is to do a sit-up. 
Wow. I used to be able to do 100 sit-ups, no problem, mm -hmm. knock them out. And now, not so much, and not every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So how's that for you mentally going from when you're, I don't know, maybe a few years ago doing 100 sit-ups to just being able to barely do one? At first, it was defeating. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Charlie Brown, my father, mm -hmm. instilled in me early on that I could do anything mm -hmm. I set my mind to and that we weren't quitters. Yeah. And so I just stayed at it and kept at it. And I continued to work at it and make it happen. Yeah. We we talked earlier in this conversation about how competitive you are. Yes. Right. And do you get that from your mom or your dad? Dad. Dad? Yeah. Your mom's not a competitor? No. Really? Oh, no, no, no. No. Mom, mama, mama's a cheerleader. Oh. And she's a vicious OU fan. I like it. Boomer but, sooner. Well, now, see, <laughs> that's hypocritical because I'm an OSU alum. <laughs> <laughs> and she came out of the closet, raw, raw for OU. <laughs> mom, you... You paid for me to go to school at right. OSU. What are you doing? Yeah. I love OU. It's yeah. the greatest school ever. Yeah. Okay. Your choice. <laughs> Good for you, Mom. But Dad and I are both highly competitive, and we're not competitive with others. Uh -huh. We're competitive with ourselves. It's perfect. It can also be self-destructive. That's true as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. Speaking of Charlie Brown, when I first met him on the way home, I thought... Looked over at Mark and was like, man, that's a cool name, Charlie Brown. And then, obviously, your mom's name Shirley, and then they said that they have a daughter named Shirley Ann. So I thought, man, Shirley Ann's a good ring. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> do you like Shirley Ann or do you like Shirley? I, I like either one of them. Yeah. I've been called a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was called Squirrely Shirley in high school. Yeah. And um, but I, Shirley Ann, especially as I've gotten older, has a lot more meaning due to, it was a name that came from a family friend who <laughs> passed away from cancer mm -hmm. and, um, was deeply loved and adored. Mom is still in touch with her family. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's a name that I've grown into and now it fits. Mm -hmm. When it was given to me, it didn't really fit. People had names like Susie and you know, Joy and little simple names. And here I am, Shirley and with an E on the end. <laughs> <laughs> and they were always spelling it wrong. And when we went digital, they only had 10 spaces. They didn't have 11 spaces <laughs> for your name. So it always got messed up. <laughs> and I'd be called Shirley A., or people didn't understand it was all one word with an E on the end. Mm -hmm. And so then I go to the senior center after I've made my promise to my mother that I'm going to go by Shirley Ann again. Yeah. And I have a 92 year old woman look at me and she says, that's too hard for me to remember. I'm calling you Shirley. <laughs> and I said, mom, I'm not arguing with a 92 year old woman. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> if she's going to call me Shirley, she's going to call me Shirley. Right. Right. <laughs> 
That's funny. And, and I guess I forgot, you know, I heard your dog bark and I, <laughs> I didn't make the introduction before our listeners. We have your therapy dog in here as well. Yes, Miss Sarah. Miss Sarah. Sarah Bell is a 18-month-old Great Pyrenees that we rescued. Mm -hmm. And she is named after the nurse that resuscitated me when I died. Mm -hmm. And she was born exactly one month to the day of the gifting of my heart. Wow. And you died more than just one time. Yes, I yeah. did. Yeah. We're going to definitely get into those times here in mm -hmm. a little bit. When you were a child... You said that you really enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, well, a lot of kids say that when they're young. However, it stuck with you. And you've had stories published here even recently. Would yes. you mind talking about some of the stories you've had published? Well, well it's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of the time, my stories are about uh, animals and the interactions that I have with therapy dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, I write from the heart. I don't write under demand. I, I can't. Right. Uh, my writing actually started as a way to communicate with my dad. Dad traveled a lot and there were times when he would come home and there was just tension because it, it was a constant dynamic change. Mm -hmm. And I'd say something stupid or you know, something would go wrong. And I had a chalkboard and I would write a note to him, a love note to him and leave it at the top of the stairs so that when he came up and went to bed, there'd be a love note from me for him to know that I was sorry for what had happened and, and we'd start over. And uh, several years ago, I wrote, my memoirs of my father mm. to my father for Christmas. Wow. And he didn't see things as I did. And that's where the competitive nature came in again. He, he wanted to be the best father he could be. And he didn't feel like he had done that. He felt like he was gone too much and he uh, wasn't here for this, that, and the other. And so I let him know what he was here for. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot. Yeah. And he, this was a father who would come into the dance studio when he was in town and watch me for an hour practice and nobody else there and just watch me practice mm -hmm. because he wanted to see his daughter dance. Yeah. He didn't criticize. He didn't offer up anything other than that was beautiful. Yeah. And he also saw himself. Because I'd get frustrated and I'm like, I didn't get that turn. I didn't hit that turn. And he said he wouldn't say anything. And later he told me, he said, I saw myself out on the golf course. I didn't hit that swing. I didn't hit that swing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My father never missed a recital and bless that man. Recitals have got to be one of the most tasking things for parents because you go to a dance recital mm -hmm. to see your child perform along with the 300 other kids that have to perform right so there's one person you want to see and the guy next to you has one person he wants to see yeah and you got to sit through all of them yep that's exactly <laughs> right that takes some patience too and we're talking three hours yeah. at minimum right yeah <laughs> 
I I think it's beautiful that you wrote those memoirs and when you were younger, how you wrote things on a chalkboard. I feel like nowadays it's become lost mm-hmm. and it's disheartening. It's sad because there's I feel like there's nothing like receiving a, a card with handwritten note or just a sticky note. I am so glad you brought that up because one of my outreaches is a class in Broken Arrow. It's at the middle school and it's called Making a Difference. Mm -hmm. And I usually take the dogs in and we talk about how we make a difference. And I had one class that doubled over. And I took the box of handwritten cards that I received when I was in the hospital. And there's over a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. Handwritten, hand stamped, hand chosen from all over the world. And I laid them out for these kids. And I said, this is what happens when you give of yourself. Others give to you. And it just keeps going. And I said, some of these people, I don't even know. They heard about me. And they took the time to buy a card, write in that card, address that card, and send it to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was so touched in this day and age that that happened. And so I came home and (laughs) I sat down and I wrote a thank you note to every single person that had sent me a card. And daddy said, what are you doing? They they were get well cards. And I said, but they took the time to do it. Yeah. And I don't have much else I can do right now. So I write the cards (laughs) and send dad our mailbox is way down front in the and so that was daddy's morning exercise. Yeah. Was to take the cards to the mailbox for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's so true. And I think you'll be excited to hear about this because Margie and I, we leave each other notes of Mm -hmm. thanks or appreciation. In the mornings, I'll stick it on the mirror so when she goes in there, she'll see it or buy her purse, something Mm -hmm. like that. It's just fun. And it's nice. Yeah. And it means something. It's tangible. Yeah. Um, I I leave notes in my husband's lunchbox. Mm -hmm. Just things that say I'm thinking about you. And I took the time. Right. Um, My husband went through a dark period after my illness and... I was really concerned about him. And so I sat down and wrote a month's worth of verses from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And there was one a day in my handwriting and I dropped it in his lunchbox. Yeah. And at first he wasn't very happy about that because he was pretty mad at God. Yeah. And, but he read them mm-hmm. and he kept them. And he, by the time the month had passed, he said, I am so glad you did that. And he was so touched that I did that. I didn't, you know, cut and paste or print something off that I found on the computer. I sat down and picked out the ones that were pertinent to our Mm -hmm. situation. And they're in my handwriting. Right. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And sometimes I'll come out with quotes and things. So for Margie at our wedding a few months ago, my quote to her was, being the best is great. You are the number one. However, being unique is even greater because you're the only one. Yes. And that's a quote by I Anonymous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's true. And, you know, I didn't come up with that quote, but I hand wrote it out. And mm-hmm. it has more meaning when it's handwritten. It does. I feel. I feel. 
Because we're giving of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. I like it. 2011, you were awarded your first therapy dog, right? Well, he was awarded. Oh, he was awarded. Yes. Okay. He was recognized by the state of Oklahoma wow. for his work in therapy and rescue. He, oh, he was okay. a second chance dog. He was rescued and then became a therapy dog. And he was working um, heavily in the cancer environment mm-hmm. and helping cancer patients and mm-hmm. raising funds for cancer people. Wow. And you, you've had you've had him for quite a while up until I had Eli life. from the time he was five months old until he was ten. Yeah. And he yeah. passed away five days after I received my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And he was amazing. I, I still have people say, Oh, you're Eli's mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, Yes I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something it's pretty special. He really actually. was. And he was invited to the state capitol twice. Mm-hmm. Uh that was an interesting time. We the first time we were there, we'd been there for four hours and representatives, senators, you name it, they'd been on the floor rolling around with this big black and white dog. Yeah. Getting their selfies and their pictures. <laughs> and our bill came up in Senate. And so we went up to the galley to watch our bill pass. And this really sweet usher came up and he said now Shirley if anybody asks you tell them that Eli is a service dog and I said I won't do that Mm -hmm. because he's not he's a therapy dog and he said well I just don't want him to ask him to leave and I said do you think I snuck him in in my purse (laughs) he was a 140 pound dog (laughs) right right and he said that probably wasn't the smartest thing I've said today. <laughs> <laughs> and Eli's just like, do do do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What uh, what bill was that? Um, it was one of the uh, cancer recognition bills. Mm-hmm. A, a day of recognizing uh, women with cancer. Mm-hmm. Does this kind of correlate with the? Uh, Turning Tulsa pink that yes, you had a big hand of? It was a big part of turning Tulsa pink. Yeah, so what was your part in that? Um, Eli was the ambassador okay. for Turn Tulsa Pink. And Judy Grove and I worked together to pull all of that together and uh, create a, a movement. Uh-huh. It was something that had come to Judy in a, a dream. And we went after it and we made a lot of difference and what she did is she made an umbrella that had uh, seven different cancer outreaches underneath it so any money that turn Tulsa pink made mm-hmm. we gave to those outreaches okay so that they could continue their work okay so we were kind of a mediator we were taking some of the stress off of the individual groups and doing fundraising for them and uniting them so that it wasn't this one against that one. And who do I choose? Everybody put it in the pot and then we divided it. Yeah. And said it goes to all of these. That's awesome. It that, was. That it makes was a, a lot of sense. It was a really neat movement. Yeah. So it could be like for breast cancer or ovarian cancer or just any prostate, prostate cancer. cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Men. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. just females. It's for. No. And, and we female. reached into the community beyond that. You know, we would 
um, take supplies to people. We would take meals to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you get really close to people. I've, yeah. I've got one little girl that I still keep up with that uh, she's now a dancer, yeah. which thrills me. Um, but when I met her, she was fighting for her life yeah. and she was fragile and frail. And now she's just taken off and she's cured. Yeah. We had another girl in um, New York that fell in love with Eli. She saw Eli online and she kept telling her mom she wanted a dog like Eli. And her mom's like, I don't think so. Um, Eli was a black and white Pyrenees. He was a giant presence. It it just, um, he came into a room and you were immediately calm. Mm -hmm. That was his, his gift. Yeah. And this little girl just fell in love with him. So I made arrangements to have a birthday cake made for her through Icing Smiles, which is a group that does spectacular cakes for families in crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know what to expect. And the mother of this child had deemed her journey Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) And one of the reasons she loved Eli is she'd seen a picture of him wearing white rabbit ears for Easter. Okay. So he was the white rabbit. <laughs> well, this baker created this cake. It was two and a half feet tall, full 3D Eli with rabbit ears and the Mad Hatter having yeah. tea with Eli was delivered to this little girl in New York. Wow. Wow. And it was all just love. Yeah. Love is what got it there. I love that in the true sense, because it's not just about the communicating and saying hi, but it's the the connection. It's deeper than just the surface stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And now that's, that's a great story. She's going to remember for however long. And Mm -hmm. that's a story that she'll pass on. And, everyone involved will pass on and there's kind of like the trickle down effect. Oh yes. The net effect of that is very positive. Because we never know what we're doing, what's going to affect and ripple. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other things that I talk to the kids about, especially um, so many of our children are not getting the direction and the personal touches that they need. Right. And I remind them that if you say a kind word, that's going to come around and come back to you Mm -hmm. just as if you say a mean word, it will come back and it'll come back and hurt. Right. The other one's going to feel good. Yeah. So let's use our kind words and let's be kind. Right. Um, I've, the dogs have given me a portal it is a real good way to put it because they open communication. And a lot of times people will talk to my dogs that won't talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I, Eli, one of Eli's greatest accomplishments was he brought a man out of catatonic state. And as we witnessed it, we, the staff couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. He was actually on his third observation for his registration, which was his finish. And boy, he finished big. He he walked up to this guy. This guy had not moved for almost three months. He had not spoken to anybody for three months. And he was just done. 
Yeah. He he was elderly. They put him in a nursing care facility and he checked out. I'm done. And they put him in his wheelchair, bring him out to the group, and Eli walked up under his hand and just set himself. He was standing, but he just kind of took the stance mm-hmm. and just stood there. And the staff shaking their head no. And I looked at him and dog wants to be here. Gotta let it happen. Yeah. And uh, next thing we knew, his hand started to move. And then he started stroking me. And then he leaned over and he said, you understand, fellow, don't you? Wow. And the whole place just burst into tears. And from that point forward, he communicated. We have no idea what he and Eli talked about. But from that point forward, he was cooperative with the staff. He did well. And he lived his days out in a much better state than what he was before this dog walked up under his hand. I literally have chills. <laughs> that is phenomenal. That's so amazing. It is. And and to see it and right. and be a part of it is it makes you realize how fragile life is. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, one of the stories that you have um kind of ties into that. Uh when I was here in Oklahoma City in the hospital, I'd been taken away from everything that was normal to me, especially my dogs. And there was a particular team that came up to see me and it was Becky and Hap. And Hap was a black standard poodle with a gray goatee. (laughs) Very distinguished boy. Yeah. And Hap and I just hit it off right off the bat. And his handler, Becky, and I got along well too. And there was just something super special about Hap. So on a Sunday, me if you'll give me the story, because I don't have a copy over here. It's the other one. There we go. Here's the story of Hap. This is some of my writing, my yeah. current writing. As a matter of fact, this was just published um, the 13th of June. Hap, the Healing Standard Poodle. Critical intensive care units are difficult to spend places to spend time especially when you're the patient. Mix in being on life support, then add to that being in an unfamiliar city. All your life, you've had a dog by your side until now. This is the story of two therapy dog teams that made an extra special connection. I have been partners with therapy dogs for 20 years. On October 13, 2016, I found myself fighting for my life as my heart was dying. In addition, my beloved canine therapy partner, Eli, Elijah, was dying of bone cancer 150 miles away. I required a heart transplant to live. This was both bad and good news. The bad is that at any given time in the United States, there are only six viable hearts available for 50,000 patients in need. The good news is that if you are gifted with a heart match, you most likely will live. To be gifted a heart, you must qualify for the transplant list, which is an ordeal of its own. Then you do a lot of hurry up and wait. For three weeks, I was on life support, unable to move from my waist down or I would die. Never had I been away from my dogs for such a long period of time. 
I shared my love for dogs with the staff caring for me. Fortunately, the nurses were amazing. They arranged for the local therapy dogs to visit me. This experience gave me a new perspective of, on what I do as part of the therapy team. Now I possess a clear view of how much it means when a therapy team shows up in the dark hours of your life. Several teams came to see me. I loved each one of them. This is how I met Hap. Hap and his partner, Mom, entered my room. I was giddy with excitement to see this handsome black standard poodle with a gray goatee. <laughs> there was an immediate connection between the three of us. I had to settle down to keep my heart monitor alarms from going off. <laughs> we had a great visit, and my emotional burden became lighter. A while later, Hap came back to visit again. Missing Eli was consuming me. I needed this time with Hap. I was still waiting to find out if I would live or die, waiting for a heart. Hap understood. He gently and quietly laid by my side. By the grace of God, I received my new heart November 7th. On Sunday, November 13th, 2016, Hap came back. His handler said they didn't usually work on Sundays, but that today was different. Hap insisted on coming to see me, and his mom felt compelled as well. Hap came in, put his head on my shoulder, and let out a deep sigh. My tears began to flow. Hap's mom asked, Shirley, what's going on? I've never seen Hap act like this with anyone. Hap is one of the extra special dogs. You see, Eli died yesterday. Mm -hmm. I was unable to see him or be with him as he went to heaven. Hap knows that I need a big dog comfort. I need big dog comfort now more than ever before, I muttered through my tears. Hap held steady, resting his head on my shoulder. The healing from the loss of my beloved Eli began, thanks to this amazing dog named Hap and his mom who brought him to me. Oh, man. This was published, and Hap had died. Wow. So his mother, Becky, saw it and was overjoyed. Yeah that Hap had been immortalized by what they had done in my world. And yeah. this this is a national magazine that Hap's story's in, and she never dreamed that I would write about Hap. But it was important. Yeah. yeah. And it broke my heart that he passed away, but boy, did he leave a big paw print. Yeah, huge. <laughs> yeah. And that's well written, too. Thank you. Very nice. That's awesome. Very classy. Oh, thanks. Good stuff. I can be classy sometimes. Well, yeah, your parents are very classy <laughs> people. I Actually, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Margie's mother's um, 60th, 60th birthday. And I talked to your parents for a while, pretty much the whole night. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about this podcast, and your mom's like, you know... My daughter Shirley Ann, she, she had that uh, heart transplant. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I heard about that. And mm -hmm. Margaret and I were thinking about trying to come up last year before this podcast even started, just to say hi to you and meet you. Mm -hmm. And then your mom was like, you, 
maybe you can reach out to maybe she'll, she'll do it and so your dad sent me these emails and these videos and i'm <laughs> watching the united way video and i was like i'm getting chills throughout your video listening to your voice because i've never met you right? right this is the first time i see a therapy dog and i see you with the uh and the senior living center and i'm hearing the story it's about two minute two and a half minute clip and i'm like this this has got to happen thank you mrs brown so finally he thanked the original shirley yeah yeah and obviously they're super proud of you so that's awesome and they're great people they are great people and and they've inspired me uh to pursue a new life Mm -hmm. and uh to use the gifts that have been more hobbies yeah are now being utilized in better ways. Um, one of the things that I love to do is I crochet. And uh, so I make uh, prayer affigans and shawls. Wow. And I give them to people that are I encounter when I'm out with my dogs. Mm-hmm. I don't give them to everybody. Yeah. There's just certain people that I'm driven to give them to. And each time I make one, I know it's for someone. Mm-hmm. And I don't always know who that someone is. And then right. I run into situations like you have over yeah. there. My amazing day, mm-hmm. which was just so real. I, that's what I like about my life now is it's yeah. so real. It's not planned. It's not cookie cutter. It There is no rhyme or reason to it. Right. It happens. Yeah. And a very good friend of mine had fallen and from a pergola and at 63 years old, that's not a real good fall. Not, no. not for anybody. But, right. Um, he was hospitalized and I'd gone up to see him and uh, take Christmas dinner from our small group. And I real I was in a hurry and I realized on my way out, I hadn't prayed over that room yet. And I had prayed over every room uh-huh. he'd been in. So I stopped and I prayed and I thought, you know, you need to just slow down. And so I slowed down. I get to the elevator and uh, there's a woman with two small children. Well, I say small. One was a teenager and the other was a small child. And she's uh, talking to a doctor. So I just, you know, cut it out of my mind. And well, she got in the elevator with me, got on the phone. And she started crying and she said, he was dead when we got here. Mm. We were too late. And I'll call you when I get my thoughts together. And she hung up and I just turned around and hugged her. Yeah. Just, I don't know you, but you need a hug right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she was a little shocked. And I said, if you need to talk, I've got all the time in the world. I really don't want you getting in a vehicle you and these children being upset. And so we stood down in the lobby and we visited and um, she started to calm down and she told me that it was her son and he'd had a brain aneurysm. And um, he had a young one at home and uh, I believe she was two. And And then she just stopped and she said, Three people are going to live today. And I wasn't quite sure what was going on. I didn't know if she was doing a prophecy or because <laughs> I, I didn't know this lady. Right. And but when I looked at her. I said, he's a donor. 
And she said, yes. And three people in this hospital are going to receive his organs today. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I have good news for you. I was sent here to be in this moment with you. Mm-hmm. Because six months ago, I received a donor's heart. And we both just went, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what are the chances? Mm-hmm. Because it put flesh on it for her that she's still going to grieve her son's passing, but she could see firsthand what a transplant could do for yeah. the next person. That's exactly right. And it was just an amazing moment. And I've never seen her talk to her again. It don't need to. It yeah. was just then and there. And we both left with a little skip in our step. You know, it's like, hey, this turned out to be a pretty good day considering. <laughs> yeah. It, you're exactly right. Because as you said earlier, there's 50,000 people in the United States that need a heart. And there's only like six hearts readily available at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And to receive one is obviously a blessing. And for you to be there just to listen to her in that moment is super special and mm-hmm. she'll remember that for the rest of her life mm-hmm. right and she knows that unfortunately her son situation however he just saved some lives mm-hmm. he just did yeah it's, it's he's a hero yeah for sure mm-hmm. for sure um my question to you is uh, how do you contribute to society i'm here yeah <laughs> No, I um, have gotten very involved in Broken Arrow with my therapy dogs, mm-hmm. primarily. And we are going and visiting a lot of the facilities that have more or less been forgotten. Yeah. Uh, sadly, it still holds true, even with the beautiful assisted living situations. They put people in there and they get busy and they don't go by and see them. Mm-hmm. And I have been working with hospice. I've got hospice patients that their family won't come see them because they can't face it. Um, that's heartbreaking to me yeah. because they're still alive. They, they still need love and interaction and touch. And um, so we, we do hospice, we do assisted living. And one of our favorites is rehab. Yeah, we'll go in and testify to rehab that a year and a half ago I was on a walker. Wow. And I could barely walk. And I was the woman that had fallen and couldn't get up. It it happened to me in my kitchen. And it was terrifying because no one was home. So I get it. I've been there. I know what, what it's like. I know how hard it is to push through it. And to be able to go in and, again, put flesh on it and say, hey, you know, I've been there. When these people tell you to stretch, you stretch. This is what you need to do. Here, I'll, I'll take my dog around and you can reach for her. I'm not going to bring her up to you. You reach for her. Right. And we make a game of it. That's awesome. And then the other one that we're working on is called Happy Hands Education Center. And that one's really close to my heart. It's. Uh, a school that was established for hearing impaired children from the ages of six weeks to six years. 
and it's a Christian-based school. It's phenomenal. The technology is top-notch. They've got both hearing and non-hearing staff. Uh, their goal, and they're being very successful in it, is to bring these children to a point that they can enter public schools or private schools and be at the same level as other students are and not be handicapped. Yeah. And they also, as long as they stay in school, are granted college scholarships. Wow, that's phenomenal. And it is just the most beautiful thing to be a part of. And so I taught Sarah ASL, American Sign Language. Wow. So that the kids could talk to her. And you know what the kids did? They went verbal. <laughs> this is a nonverbal exercise, kids. Yes. I'm like, you know, <laughs> we need to sign. And they're like, no, Sarah, come. Sarah, sit. Sarah, shake. Sarah, down. Sarah, walk. <laughs> you got her attention now. She's She, she, knows. she perked up. <laughs> And I like how you're actually signing as you're saying this, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and she looked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people don't think about animals learning sign, mm. but it's because we don't, we don't think. If you look at cattle dogs, they get signed to all the time. Uh, the obedience dogs are signed to, agility dogs are signed to, um, canine uh, officers military dogs that you, yeah. you can't be hollering, <laughs> you hollering. Can't hear what a great word <laughs> can't be hollering out commands <laughs> why not <laughs> <laughs> well because the enemy might shoot you <laughs> fair <laughs> oh that's good stuff i love it <laughs> so you know hand commands have been used for centuries Right. And, but people don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. My brother, he has a son, obviously. And when Miles was probably around one or two, they taught him sign language. When he's hungry, when he was mm -hmm. sleepy, he's tired, they would, he would sign. Mm -hmm. to, and so he still knows a lot. However, he's all verbal now, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably more so than he needs to be sometimes. That is actually right. Yes. You're absolutely right. His nonverbal is through text messages and through Twitter posts that I see. I'm like, hey, hold on a sec, man. You calm down on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a little chosen granddaughter that um, she's just turned five. And she <laughs> told me that um, she's going to be a doctor now. And I need to teach her how to sew because <laughs> she's going to cut people open and take out their bad hearts and put yeah. in new ones. And she has to know how to sew them back up. Yeah. She's got the rest of it figured out. <laughs> and, and then she also, when I go to the Broken Arrow Senior Center, she says, oh, you're going to the old people daycare. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm like, yeah, that, that would be it. Wow. I certainly am. And she's oh, she is something else. Yeah. She's a lot of fun. She did videos for me when I was in the hospital. And oh. at the time she was three. And she said, Now, Aunt Shirley, you've got to take your medicine. And now it's yucky. <laughs> you've got to listen to the doctor. 
And you got to let them listen to your heart. <laughs> but most of all, don't be scared. Love it. Wow. Three years old at the time. Yeah. So once again, I am super honored to be sitting across the table from you today. First time I ever met you. And this podcast is about defining moments. And Shirley Ann, I know you've had plenty of moments that are defining. Would you like to share with our listeners a, def a defining moment or two? The biggest defining moment of all was my heart transplant. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a massive heart attack in June of 2016 and was saved as far as I, they got me to the hospital put a stent in said 30 days you're going to be right as rain life goes on 30 days later i had congestive heart failure and that was the downhill slide so from june to october i was hospitalized several times different things being done trying to get me squared away had a pacemaker put in and a defibrillator and different meds and it just wasn't working and this was in 2016 this was in 2016 and i was in the hospital at saint francis heart in tulsa and dr cartman came in and he said surely my toolbox is empty but I know somebody who has a bigger toolbox mm -hmm. and I'm going to call him right now. And he made a personal phone call to Dr. Doug here in Oklahoma city and Integris. And Dr. Doug said, I should have a bed in the next hour or two. So get her ready and bring her over. So the plans were made and they transported me hot. I was coding on my way in. And instead of going to emergency, they took me straight up to CICU and they did triage right there in front of my dad. And uh, it was probably one of the most terrifying things dad and I'd ever been through. Mm -hmm. I was so grateful he was there because my head, husband had to stay behind. And they got me stabilized and they said, we've got to get through the night and then we're going to try something tomorrow. Tomorrow came and he said, we're going to know within 30 to 45 minutes if this is going to work. And they gave me another medication and I arrested and I died in front of my husband and nurse sweet sweet nurse sarah brought me back and she said i'm i'm not going to give up on you she said you're you're going to live and i said all right <laughs> take your word for it yeah. and dr doug came in and he said he had always he always gave us a plan even in that short period of time he he said this is what we're going to do if this doesn't work, this is what we're going to do. It wasn't, oh, well, let's figure out what to do now. Mm -hmm. He knew what he was, his next step was. So 
they rushed me down to cath lab and he put me on what's called a balloon pump and it's a form of life support that they run up through your groin or up around your heart and they basically envelop your heart and make it pump by this balloon effect and you can't move your leg because if you pinch off that line you're dead mm-hmm. and then he put a second port in so i had eight ports in my neck i had three in one side and five in the other and that's where they administered medication where they took blood where they did any any work they needed to do on me they did it through my neck and went straight into my heart mm-hmm. um so they thought maybe with the balloon pump sometimes patients would respond and after a week or so, their heart had had some time to recover and it would resume healing. Well, that wasn't the case with mine. They tried to wean me off and I crashed again. Yeah. And so uh, daily I fought for my life because if anything stimulated me, I would go into what's called a VTAC. And my heart rate would go up to 180. Oh, man. And I wouldn't know it. I couldn't feel it. I didn't know what was going on. So it was purely the machines and the nurses watching. And they'd come running in. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. And um, we'd have to go through this process that was like labor. And it was breathing and pushing and, and making my heart do what we wanted it to do. And it was just exhausting. And then we'd get it settled down and the dadgum defibrillator would go off. It'd wake up and go, oh, by the way, I should have <laughs> shocked you 30 seconds ago. And that's like getting hit in the chest with a cattle prod. Oh, my gosh. It, it's not fun. And I, I said a couple of four-letter words when <laughs> that happened. Um, so they determined that I had to have a new heart or game over mm-hmm. um i did have the option of an lvad but it was very minimal because the damage to my heart was so extensive what's an lvad an lvad is a partial pump that's mechanical and you get to carry around a battery pack and you get to plug yourself into the wall at night and you get to do two one hour dressing changes a day it's almost like a tesla heart yeah <laughs> yeah in a sense it is yeah and it, it can be life-saving, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't a strong option for me because the extensive damage to my heart. And um, I had reached a point in my life where I was allowing stress to dictate my life. Mm-hmm. And so I had become a smoker and I was a night drinker. I was drinking alcohol at night. And... Um, I, I was contributing to something that I didn't even realize how much damage I was doing. I've got a hereditary heart disease that goes clear back to my great-great-grandfather. Mm. And so there was a lot of guilt that went with it. I did it to myself in my mind. And then dad had his share of, this is these are my genes, if, yeah. if I hadn't passed this on. Because he had already had three heart attacks himself. 
and wow. he had taken care of himself. Yeah. Um, I want that to be very clear. Yeah, he, yeah. he took good care of himself and he still does. Um, so I, it was the second time I died and I actually had a conversation with the Holy spirit and he said to me, if you want to live, you have to give full control up. You can't have control over this. It's got to be gone. You have to let the doctors do what they're going to do. You have to follow the rules. And you will be rewarded with what you've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be hard. And I was like, sign me up. And so I came out of that and I had this peace that was a peace I'd never had before. I knew for the first time ever in my life, everything was going to be okay. Whether I lived or died, everything was going to be okay. And then I had some anxiety because the heart pump, obviously is a machine. And so it has this hum sound to it that when you're on the other end of it, sounds like a train coming Mm. at you. It's just, and and if that sound stops, you got a real serious problem. Oh, wow. You're dead. Yeah. And it was messing with my head and because I couldn't move, and get out of the bed or, you know, I was isolated and the room was smaller than the room you and I are in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was claustrophobic and it was, I kept going through all these issues and I had this noise. Well, mom came in and she did what's called healing touch. And I had teased her about healing touch for years and told her that she was just a voodoo minister and she knew it <laughs> and, and she knew it was in good fun, but, yeah, yeah. um, So she did healing touch. And when we were finished, she said, what do you hear now? And I said, I hear the grandfather clock in your hallway, which is one of my favorite things in this house and always has been. I I would sit for hours in front of that clock, even in college, and just watch that clock and be soothed by it. And she said, okay, well, you've got a keyword. There's a keyword that you use. You choose one when you do healing touch. And you go back to that word and it'll take you back to that place. And she said, so when you hear the train, go to your keyword and pray. And sure enough, at night is when it usually happened. The train would start coming. And I would say the word and I would pray. And I'd go back to the tick, tock, tick, tock. And it, I'd be all right. The only time I slept is when my husband came. Mm-hmm. He was down in uh, Broken Arrow trying to keep everything afloat there. And I could not sleep because I I just couldn't sleep. I'm on life support and I don't know what's going to happen. And there were crazy people that came in in the middle of the night. Because they hire crazy people for the middle of the night. <laughs> and um, so uh, when he would come, I would immediately fall asleep. And I would sleep the whole four hours he was here. 
Wow. And then he would get up to leave and I'd be up for the next four or five days until he got here again. And it wasn't that I didn't try to sleep. They didn't try to give me medication. It's just, I just couldn't sleep when he wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And um, so I made the list for transplant. And on transplant, they do all the blood typing, uh, which is the, the really critical part, making sure that the chemistry is going to work. And then the size of the heart is critical. Because especially in adults, your your heart has reached its size and mm-hmm. there's only so much room for a heart and you don't want one too small and you don't want one too big. So size is another factor. And um, you learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was put on the list and fortunately I was put at the top of the list. And then we had to wait. And one heart came available, and it turned out that it wasn't viable. Dr. Nelson said he wasn't going to put that heart in me. And they didn't tell me about that one, which I was grateful for, because you can get on a real roller coaster. And so then one of my doctors came in, and she had this grin on her face, and she said, have they come to talk to you yet? And I said, no. And she said, we have a heart. Wow. And I said, like, we have a heart. And she said, yeah. She said, but there's one thing. It's high risk. Uh, and that confused me. You know, what What do you mean it's high risk? And she said, um, the donor was a drug user. Which causes it to be a high risk heart. She said, however, our studies are shown have shown that these hearts are extremely viable. These yeah. organs are because these people are young and though they've trashed themselves with their drugs, they haven't damaged their organs yet. And she said, if you accept the heart, then we will do additional testing on the heart and on you to confirm the match. And I said, let's go for it. Yeah. I, you bet. And, um, so we had to go through the whole blood typing again. They take 240 cc's of blood, by the way. To, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, I had nothing better to do. So I just sat around and calculated it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. That's 24. Oh, that's 50. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What else do you do? Um, and that was at eight thirty that she came in. And I decided not to tell anybody because there was that, that chance that it wasn't going to happen. And at 1145, she came in and she said, we've got a match and your surgery is going to be at three in the morning. They'll have your heart here. Wow. And I just, (sighs) yeah, I just cried. And, um, then I called my husband and I said, I'm going to live. Yeah. And so I then I got a hold of mom and dad and you know, we got everybody balling. <laughs> you got me balling in a minute. <laughs> and um oh, man. I said, uh, now here's the thing, they're not gonna start surgery till three. Yeah. And this is a ten to twelve hour surgery. So everybody stay home. Just yeah. don't come up here until closer to 
the finish line because I think it's ridiculous to sit around and twiddle your thumbs and worry and you know when you need sleep and uh, so everybody agreed well they moved the surgery up to midnight turned out that the harvesting went more quickly than they expected and so uh midnight great I don't have to wait so long and still 10 to 12 hours was going to be no problem and I let them know you know hey it's been moved up four hours later I'm in recovery what my surgery took four hours and two pints of blood I say that's it, but that's it. That's it. Not 10 to 12 hours and six pints of blood. Four hours and two. Wow. Doesn't happen. The doctors came out to DJ and said it was textbook. It Everything that could go right went right. And up to that point, everything that could go wrong had gone wrong. Oh, man. Oh. That was a defining moment. So this is the point where I, I come up with questions. I got to think about this for a minute because this is moving. Yeah. It was a miracle. Wow. My doc comes in and he says, let me hear that Lamborghini I put in your chest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, because it's a younger heart, right? <laughs> well, it's a younger heart, but what we paid for it. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. He, uh, and so much of this had to do with the team because this team is a team. They work together, and there are multiple doctors involved. A lot of people don't understand in transplant, and I didn't understand because never had really crossed my mind that this is a multifaceted decision made on both sides mm -hmm. on the donor side and on the recipient side they they look at you're actually interviewed i mean they asked me you know have you quit smoking yes have you quit drinking yes you know are you going to stay that way yes and they could tell by the way i had fought for my life that right. if i said yes that meant I was sticking with it Yep. where if they've got somebody who, you know, is vaping in the hospital room, they're like, I'm not giving you a heart. We're going to give it to the person who deserves it. Yeah. Um, and it's sad, but true. That's just the way it's got to be. Right. And, um, and then on the, the, the donation side, not one doctor makes that decision. It's a three doctor call that that person is not going to respond to medical treatment. And a lot of people think that, you know, just one doctor can say, oh, I got, you know, all these patients that need, we're going to just knock this one off so we don't, and that's not how it works. Right. They also do not allow people to bleed out and die in accidents and things of that nature because something that I find almost ironic is, I've heard so many people say, well, if you check the box, they're going to let you die on your driver's license. You know, if you're in an accident, they're going to let you die mm -hmm. so they can have your organs. Oh. Well, if they let you die, your organs are no good. 
Right. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> and they don't pull your driver's license when they're trying to save your life to see if they've got a little heart <laughs> yeah. on it. That doesn't even happen until you get to the hospital. Right. Um, so there are a lot of myths that I work on dispelling mm-hmm. and educating mm-hmm. people on what donors really can do. Uh, and I've met some amazing people. I've met this one woman that her best friend had a daughter that was born with mental challenges and she was blind. She lived to be 21. She passed away at 21 and she was an organ donor. The woman who received her eyes can see. Wow. That's phenomenal. And, and I love when these stories come together and and people start sharing and it, we need to talk about it. It's very much a part of the future. Mm -hmm. And I remember when transplant first began, I am old enough to remember that. Um, you know, cause I hang out at the old lady's daycare and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. Um, so this educating ourselves and learning what the process is. One person can save six people. Wow. And I've had older people say to me, well, you know, what, what do they want from me? I I'm old. And I said, well, what about the 72-year-old burn victim that needs a skin graft? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she may want 20-year-old skin on her face, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's get real people. Right. <laughs> and, and there is kind of a sick humor that goes yeah. with all of this, yeah. but you, you have to get there. My husband actually told the people, he's an auto mechanic. Okay. And he had just gotten beat down the questions and the constant want for update. And there's not a lot to update. It's a very, very slow process. So he pulled the guys together and he said, I'm going to say this one time. You better pay attention. And that's it. Okay. Okay. They're all bated breath. And he said, Shirley left me for a doctor. She'll be home when she has a change of heart. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> and that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> uh, literally. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And I've, I've said to people um, <laughs> crazy things like, if, I, if today was any better, I'd be twins. Oh, wait a minute, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And something I told Dad that he didn't take it very well at the time but he takes it okay now was that he finally has his son <laughs> because I received a young man's yeah. heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. He didn't think that was very funny in the hospital, but yeah, you know, probably not. No, but it's funny now. I, I love your sense of humor with this because like you, you know, this life is way too short for it to be too serious all the time there's times to be serious however but i mean to to have a good laugh Mm -hmm. is always always good i mean there's never a wrong time no and and you have well the little things Mm -hmm. nurse sarah 
came in one morning and she said, I've got something for you. And I thought, what in the world she got for me? And she said, I've got to get my stuff ready for rounds and then I'll be back. Okay. And she comes in and she starts putting things on the wall. Well, what she's done is she's taken a landscape calendar. And she cut the landscapes out and taped them to my walls. And she said, now you have windows. Because it broke my heart when you saw the window yesterday and all there was was a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the special people. Yeah. They're the ones that count. I'll yeah. never forget those windows. So Sarah was a uh, nurse, Sarah. Nurse, Sarah. And your therapy dog is named after her. Okay. I'm trying to throw out the correlation here. Mm-hmm. So we named. I told her, I said, the next dog I get, I'm going to yeah. name Sarah. Well, the next dog I got was a male, and his name's Reuben. So, <laughs> <laughs> he was unexpected. Yeah. But when we discovered Sarah, um, she had a goofy, weird name. I don't even remember what it was now. But we named her Sarah, and uh, my dad had always called Nurse Sarah his Southern Belle, because she's from North Carolina. Oh, okay. And he just adored her and was always cheering her on just as she was cheering us on. Yeah. And so DJ, my husband, actually came up with Sarah Bell. Wow. As Sarah's name. And when we posted it on Facebook, Sarah messaged me and she said, that's my dog, isn't it? Oh. And I said, yeah. This is, this is it. This is the girl. And she follows her on Facebook and she since moved back to North Carolina. Oh, wow. And, um, so it's been, you know, thank goodness for that technology. We're still able to share yeah. and she's gotten to see the progress. And then I've taken the dogs up to see the staff at, um, Integris. So yeah. that I've had people, and these are things you don't think of. I didn't know how tall you were. Well, that's because I looked like a slug in a bed for five weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you slide down and they pull you up and it, <laughs> yeah. it's just, blah. um, and so these people looking at me like I was six feet tall and going only five, five, really not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. How, how's rehab been since that? transplant you got to take things a lot slower oh and... yeah yeah um i had to do cardiac rehab for eight weeks and it's a very interesting um way that they do things compared to the way my father and i have always trained mm -hmm. we were always you know go in and get it done and bring those numbers up well yeah. they don't let you do that in rehab they want you to go slow and steady because you are rebuilding that muscle. Yep. And it's very frustrating for a highly competitive personality to go, okay, really? We're going this slow to do this, but it pays off in the end because mm -hmm. it does build your endurance. Yeah. Um, where I got anxious was, Cardio rehab ended. 
you know, it, you've got so much included in your insurance. It's over. And we love you. Here's your graduation party. Bye-bye. See you later. Now what do I do? Because my situation for eight months, I had had a heart monitor every time I worked out. I had an entire staff watching me, making sure that nothing went wrong. Right. And there was security. And now I'm supposed to go work out in a gym? Yeah. With huh. no security. No security. Yeah. Other than my walker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. And, um, so, so I, um, started my search and I went to a gym and I talked to a person who could not hear anything other than what he was programmed for. He was a muscle head and I, I'm sitting there. I, you can still see my scar. I mean, I'm an open heart patient. And I'm telling him I need something to just slow cardio, bring myself back up. He goes, okay, well, let's go downstairs and try this. And the man just darn near killed me. Oh, man. He, he had me sitting on this round ball trying to balance five pound weights. <sighs> and I'm like, uh-uh, no, not going to happen. So I left there defeated. Yeah. Because we are in a financial situation that's far different than we've ever been in. Um, my health was still really touch and go because I was still in the rejection window. Mm -hmm. At any point in time, it could have gone kablooey. Just because you get the heart doesn't mean it's going to stay. Right. Because your body doesn't want it. And um, so we're constantly tweaking meds and doing all of this and uh i drive by and i <laughs> and i see um it it looks like a church and there's all these cars and i thought oh how sad there's a funeral on wednesday and i looked in my rearview mirror and it said broken arrow senior activity center yeah well i didn't know that was there so i went home i checked it out turned out that i was just old enough because their sign up age is 55. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know why she's fascinated by that. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so I turned right around and went back a mile from my house. Wow. And go in and meet this wonderful woman named Johnette and Turns out they have a plethora of things to do, including a ladies' fitness class meets three days a week at 8.30, which is what I was doing on cardio, but I don't have to drive all the way into Tulsa. Right. So it's like I get to sleep later. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, wow. so I'm, I'm like, okay, now how much is this going to be? Well... Our membership is $20 a year. It, you, you said $20 a year. Yes, that's it. You can do anything that we have here for $20 a year. Where do I sign? Right. I, sign me up right now. Yep. I will be here tomorrow. And it it has been a huge blessing because I started out 
with the ladies fitness and then I just slowly got involved in the other areas and one of the great things about their structure is you're not signed up for the classes so if you go and you don't like it then you just move on yeah if you like it stay if you're not careful you end up being the leader and then you <laughs> really yeah, yeah. need to be there <laughs> right wow <laughs> and it keeps me engaged and because I was starting to reach a a funk I'd sit at home and I didn't feel real good and I didn't have anywhere to go do anything and I didn't want to go somewhere and possibly have something happen and people are going oh my gosh what happened this woman just dropped dead yeah and so there everybody's looking out for each other and it wasn't weird to to be broken Mm mm-hmm so yeah. I am, um, that has been a huge part of my rehab and then building my strength to be able to get back with my dogs because Miss Sarah is 122 pounds right now and she's not through growing. And if she decides she's going somewhere, I need to be able yeah. to either keep up with her or pull her back. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> she is very fascinated with your equipment. Yeah, I think she likes it. I think she likes being on this podcast. Don't you, Sarah? She says, yes. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. You going to say something? She says, I don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, there we go. Yeah, she just introduced herself. Thank you. Very nice, Sarah. That's a good girl. She says, I like you. You don't have cameras. No, no cameras. I remember back in the part of your, def- your defying moment at the beginning mm-hmm. you're talking about you had this deep conversation with yourself with your face and that you're here to do something super special you can't control it now however once you get this heart you're going to make great things happen big things happen i feel like that's exactly what you're doing it is that's exactly what you're doing you're helping others that amazing story with you in the elevator with that lady and the two kids, her son passed away. It's, I feel like being there in the moment for people Mm -hmm. is what you're doing. And I think you're doing a phenomenal job. Thank you. You just went to the doctor yesterday. Yes. And you had a good checkup. Yes. Now, what type of foods are you eating now? I had, uh, what, what was it mom fixed last night? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Um, pepper steak. Oh, it's okay. Good. Okay. It's good. Yeah. I, I can eat as long as I'm smart about it. Yeah. I mean, just good, healthy mm-hmm. eating. I can't eat a lot of processed foods. Right. Um, I don't eat out much anyway. I never did. And I have just about whatever I want as long as I don't blow out my potassiums or sodiums, things like that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But um, it, one of the biggest things that I'm dealing with right now is heat. I'm extremely heat sensitive. Okay. And to the point that if I get too warm, it's almost as though I have the flu. 
Oh, wow. It takes me down bad. And I'm down for the rest of the day. Yeah. So that has been a challenge because I love the garden. Yeah. And I didn't get to garden for the first year because they're all the things in the dirt and that type thing. Um, You almost become a germaphobe, but you've got to be realistic at the same time. And so I now have my gardens, but I have to go out at 530 in the morning to tend to them so that I don't burn up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you're accomplished gardener. You give back in just about any way possible. You have a new heart. What's next? I one of the things I'm working on right now is becoming an advocate for transplant caregivers mm-hmm. because the caregivers have a really difficult job. And I'm working with a lady right now that she's spent months taking care of her husband. He finally got his heart, which we're very grateful for, but she's wearing pretty thin because it's been 24 seven, him, 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 him. And she's made that choice, but at the same time, she's got to wean herself and be able to find herself again Mm -hmm. and be an individual, not just his caregiver. And having made that journey on both sides, I am able to give some counsel and and then also that as the patient say, oh, that's not something to be worried about. That that's normal. And mm-hmm. yes, they're going to be a jerk because they're on fifteen milligrams <laughs> of prednisone a day, turns yeah. you into a monster. Yeah. Um, but there's also an accountability on the patient's part that. You've got to be as cooperative and pleasant as you can be mm-hmm. because these people are trying to help you. Yep. And it's not easy for anybody. Nobody signed no. up for something like this. Nope. You're exactly right. You're and exactly so right. we're going to make the best of every day that we have. And uh, what we want to do is leave a positive mark wherever we go. I love it. That's awesome. Thanks. Last question. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a woman who never failed to give. I like it. Shirley Ann Brown Johnson, thank you so much for your time. It's such an honor to be here and I feel like I need some water now because I'm dehydrated from some of my tears. <laughs> well, I got a brand new bottle for you and it's got uh, Sooners on yeah, it. So like obviously it. my mom put it there. Yep, she sure did. <laughs> well, thank you so much for Juan, your time. This has been a joy. It really has. I've had a good time. <laughs> I have too. And uh, our listeners will definitely have a great time listening to this. And thank you to your parents, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, for allowing us to come in and record this podcast sure all right we'll be in touch soon sounds good all right have a blessed day thank you too i truly hope you enjoyed this podcast if you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share please reach out to me i would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast here's how to find me visit my website www.definingmomentspod.com follow me on twitter at def moments pod 
That's at DEF Moments Pod. Search me on Facebook, Defining Moments Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. That's all one word at Defining Moments Podcast. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.